I'll be reading from Romans 3, and I'm reading from verse 21. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observance of the law? No, but on that of faith. Well, it is good to be with you today. And uh, if you're a regular, you may be very surprised to know there is a detailed outline from one of my talks. So there you go. If you like outlines, follow on. Uh, hopefully that, that will help you uh, with, with uh, where we're heading today. Let me pray, and then we'll get into our, uh, our talk. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can uh, come here today with freedom to sing praises to you, to remember what you've done for us, and to consider your word and how we need to live by it. Help us to do that now. Amen. Ah, oh, there was a story of when I worked as an occupational therapist when I was in my early 20s. When I was in my early 20s and uh, uh, I was very eager and keen and I just finished uh, university and by my fourth year at university I was really involved with the Christian group on campus and was loving that and I get to, uh, get to working um, in, the, uh, in the hospital as an occupational therapist uh, in mental health and, and I was a little bit exuberant. And someone said to me, oh, did you, did you go to church? And, and then I just went on this uh, launch of, yeah, yeah, and I love this about God and this about Jesus. And, and I, I went on for a while and they were just a little bit um, dumbfounded and perplexed. Uh, and what actually happened was that wasn't interesting. And as I was reflecting on, wasn't that interaction. That person I spent a lot of time with, actually, and, uh, and engaged with lots. But it was the slap on the wrist that I got for my behaviour. It wasn't any official thing, HR wasn't involved, but it was my direct boss just saying how inappropriate it was, the way that I behaved to talk about Jesus in the hospital. Not that uh, someone asked, asked me or anything like that, but just the fact that I brought up Jesus and I was talking about him was intolerant. So I think if, if you go to any workplace HR department, any public school, most likely all of our community connections, you will see that they all hold to the same supreme virtue. Whether you find an active student union or a political agenda, here you will find this supreme virtue. The one non-negotiable, the virtue that everyone must hold to, in our society today, is quite clearly tolerance. Of all people and all of their perspectives, 
You need to accept them. We see that uh, in the drama of schools. Uh, in New South Wales, I was uh, reading in one of the magazines we had there, there was a whole bunch of Christian books that were kicked out of the schools uh, by the government because people were lobbying, saying they were, they were uh, defamatory, they discriminated and they were actually abusive of children. One of the books was so tame in its approach, it wasn't, one of them was about uh, Patricia Werrikoon who's come to visit us, it was one of her books, but there was another book which was just about how God made us in his image and we should uh, follow him because that's our purpose, that's what it was. It wasn't on the big hot topic agenda that uh, Patricia's book may have brought up, but even that book was considered to be offensive. I want to suggest today that we need to consider and rethink where our world's view on tolerance is at, where our uh, Australian view on tolerance is at. And I also want us to consider how to engage with this view of tolerance. That's a little bit of a different talk uh, as, uh, as we go through this week. And next week we'll go from the flip side as what we'll do is we'll consider the Christian ultimate authority, the Bible, and how maybe that can engage in society. But where we need to start, I think, is to see on the outline there that there is an old tolerance and now we have a new tolerance. You see, what's happened... Uh, in, our, in our society, is that tolerance has had a very big shift in its meaning. Uh, and, and there's uh, clearly not enough time for me to go into the details of it all now and how historically that's happened and what is all the, the reasons and, and it's, it's not simple A plus B plus C, but this movement, it's really, really fascinating and interesting. One of the books that uh, was particularly uh, helpful and I maintain, I came up with the topic of this talk before I discovered this uh, book, but I'm never going to question Don Carson, so he came up with the idea. Don Carson's book, The Intolerance of Tolerance, uh, is fantastically helpful on, uh, on this idea. And he points out how we've gone from one view to a new view, and historically how that's happened, and the implications of that. He, he's not writing um, a biblical exposition, he's engaging with culture from a Christian um, perspective, and it's very helpful if that interests you, and I know some of you really do appreciate apologetics and those kinds of things. You see, what the shift is, is that tolerance has moved from accepting the existence of different views to the new tolerance, which is acceptance of the view. Did you get that difference? Let me continue and see if we can get clarity on it. See, the old way of tolerance was recognising other people's rights to have different views, beliefs, practices, to accepting those views of other people. The old way was allowing free expression of contrary opinions, to accepting another person's position means believing that it's true, or at least believing that it's true for them if it's not true for me. Do you see that distinction? Because it's a really important distinction. And we see this change shape 
our community that we live in. You see, the old tolerance allows for holding strong views that he or she insists others have the right to reject those views and make up their own mind. You see this in debates at university. I remember when I was at university and uh, we, had a, we had a room that we were allowed to use for our Christian group and it so happened to be next to the, uh, the, the Muslim prayer room. And for one of my years, the guy who was running the, um, the Muslim prayer room, uh, he and I chatted. And we had debates in which we were able to engage and discuss and argue and agree to disagree, and it was vigorous and it was en- engaging and helpful. And then he got, he got shut down in my last year and was not allowed to engage. We cannot say something is absolute without it being discriminating of others, without it being inflammatory. There's a quote that's often associated to uh, Voltaire, but it was just found in um, others around him's writings. He never necessarily actually said this, but the quote is very poignant. The quote goes, I disapprove of what you say, but I will defend your right to say it. That is not the new tolerance of today. That is the old way. Now what, we're, uh, what I'm suggesting and what I'm not wanting to do is to suggest that I'm making a case that the old tolerance is the supreme virtue that should be where we move towards. In fact, it can't work that way. It operates differently. It doesn't want to be a virtue because what it's saying is people determine what they think is the most important virtue and while they may consider theirs to be the objective truth, someone else can also think that and as you engage, you've got a better chance of understanding what it is. You don't try and make tolerance the ultimate. This is the picture that we live in. I wonder whether you can start to think of times then you've engaged with people and you've heard this idea of tolerance being thrown at you. You see, in the old view of tolerance, Christianity can make its case, as can other religions, and it can be heard with tolerance. But with this new tolerance, there is a clash. There is a fight, there is a kind of conflict that is going on and there are significant implications for Christianity with this new tolerance. The reality is if Christianity is making very clear and specific truth claims that actually say that others have to be wrong because they contradict, Christianity is treated with increasing contempt. If popular opinion Uh, If popular opinion favours something that is contrary to the Bible and we believe the Bible is God's word and and has ultimate truth, we are sidelined as ignorant and actually the arrogant, intolerant ones. If you know me, I I like joking around a bit and I like like, uh, comedy. But if you engage with any comedians, other than that most comedians are completely crass and, and you can't listen to them uh, half the time anyway, but if they've got something to say, often what comedians will do, they will go with the popular opinion and bag out the minorities of all sorts, including Christians. 
what we have is the two ideologies clashing that in a way that makes it impossible for them to coexist. See, the Christian viewpoint is starting from a very different place. So the reality is, if we do any reading on history, we see that Christianity has shaped our society, has, uh, our founding roots is deeply embedded in Christianity. As the founders of our society and what our laws look like and how we live. But we've moved from that to now, rather, Christianity is one that rubs up against and rejects the current prevailing virtues and ethics. It's a very big shift and it means we have a very different starting point in engaging with people. See, Christianity is no longer just needing to present the truth and argue, is it true? There's a case to be made that there is a truth. And next week, as we engage with the Bible, we're going to make a case for seeing that the Bible is a very reliable source of the truth. And what we see with these implications is that we need to engage with assumptions. You need to be informed. You need not just to consider truth. You need to be challenged with, is there truth? And you need to use reason and logic. As we'll see, uh, the Bible stack up amongst all of those things. Now, I've been going for a while and haven't got to the Bible, which uh, rubs me up uh, the wrong way when I'm preaching. But we need to go through that uh, viewpoint to get, uh, get the background on our world's view. But what's God's view on tolerance? You see, I think we see very clearly that God is tolerant and intolerant at the same time. He cannot stand injustice. The Bible consistently speaks of God's disdain for the lack of right, especially when his people are not doing what he wants and caring for other people. Case in point, Exodus chapter 22 should come up on the screen. Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows and your children fatherless. The point being, God hates wrong. He's intolerant of it. Not tolerating it, not accepting of that view that you can treat widows horrendously. In uh, the prophet Hosea, we see God's very blunt disdain for the way his people carry on. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring you, a bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying and murder, stealing and adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of this, the land dries up and all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea are swept away. The picture, one example of the Bible's message that God hates wrong. 
He won't stand for it. Whenever human beings are mistreated, God is offended and he's intolerant of it. And even further to this, God is not going to tolerate being rejected. In our Romans, a little bit earlier from the passage we read today, we read very clearly, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. John 3.36, you know, this verse comes from one of the most to- uh, tolerant verses in the Bible, doesn't it? John 3.16, you know, that classic passage about God loving the world and giving life. Following that, God's very clear, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. We see, yet, his tolerance of us, it's implied. It's important. And we're going to get to that. But even within his intolerance, we see God tolerating our sin. In chapter 1 of Romans, what follows on, uh, uh, Paul's writing Romans and he's saying people are rejecting God and doing all sorts of things and God's response is to say, okay, then go and do it. I'll give you over to that. I'll tolerate you doing that. You, You face the consequences of it. But as soon as we see God's intolerance, at the same time we see his tolerance. It's really important to see. If there was no tolerance of God... You and I would not be here. There would be the garden. There would be Adam and Eve sinning. God saying, ridiculous, I told you to follow me. You're destroyed. Game over. You and I don't exist. But God tolerates. Have a look at 2 Peter chapter 3, 8 to 9. Great verses that remind us what God's doing now. He's talking, uh, Peter's talking about the idea that Jesus is going to come back, but he hasn't come back yet. And this is what he says, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, what he's saying is, I'm tolerating your hijinks, your rejection of me, your sin, because I want you to come back to me. I want you to come back to me. I want you to repent, turn back. But no sooner do you get uh, this beautiful picture of tolerance, verse 10 actually goes on to say, but don't forget there will be destruction and it will be final. Tolerance and intolerance together. But as always, if we're going to understand God's perspective with absolute clarity, we need to go to the cross. And I want to suggest to you, all of this we see, the cross is where tolerance and intolerance coexist harmoniously. You probably have already kind of picked that up. Romans 3, one of the purple passages on how Jesus saves us and what he's done on the cross, we had read to us. Let's have a look at it. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace, by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. All have sinned. I'm not going to tolerate this rejection. You have, even if you're a good person, rejected God on some level. And that's what all the way leading up to this point in Romans has been on about in all the different perspectives and arguments he's making. He says, ultimately, no matter whether you're Jew or Gentile, you're following the law, you're not following the law, your problem is, I'm perfectly good and holy, you are not. But God's mercy, the sacrifice of himself in verse 25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. That Jesus steps into our place, what God cannot tolerate sin, he steps into our place for. So he can tolerate us who are the ones who have rejected him. It's where tolerance and intolerance coexist, where God can bring it together with beautiful clarity. We reject him and he tolerates us through dealing with our sin on himself. That he doesn't tolerate the sin in us, he deals with it so we can be with him. You see, Jesus on the cross shows God's intolerance of sin where God's wrath is being poured out on Jesus for humanity's rejection of him. And Jesus on the cross shows his toleration of us sinners. As we had communion today and we were being reminded what Jesus has done on the cross, that he died for us so that we're not considered sinners. The Bible does not tell, call Christians, give them the title sinners because he has dealt with our sin. His son takes our place. We are justified freely. We don't make it happen. You see, instead of a God who is happy for any view, as long as you accept it, as long as you don't offend, we have an entirely consistent God. A God in which is saying, this worldview in which you come to me is completely consistent and is logical and can work. Because I will give you life forever with me. This is God's view of tolerance. I want to spend a few minutes considering how we respond to this. And I want to do it, um, I want you to take on board all of the um, ideas, but I, I kind of broken them into two. The non-Christian perspective, um, if, if you're wrestling with this and this is completely foreign to you and you're thinking what's going on, how do you think of it from a, a non-Christian perspective and then from a Christian perspective? Firstly, I want to say consider the illogical nature of the current perspective on tolerance. As Don Carson's book says, as, as I, uh, hopefully you've been seeing, is the new tolerance is actually intolerant 
It can only work if it has one very big exception, that it does not tolerate anyone that says what they believe is the only thing that can be right. See, while the claim may be single uh, truth holders like Christianity are arrogant, judgmental, the irony is this tolerance is arrogant to think that you can hold, uh, hold this as an ultimate virtue but not apply it consistently. There is no way this view on tolerance in which you've got to accept everybody's view as if it's true can work. We need to consider there are gaping holes with this view and it's actually harming our community, our society. If I had time, I, would, uh, I think I'd probably spend a significant amount of time talking about the trouble and the harm that it actually does cause. And on a profoundly troubling level, what if what is right for you uh, is not right for me, but what if the what is right for you is so despicable, you and I know that it's just wrong because how despicable it is. If it's horrible acts of terror, if it's paedophilia, and those things that we know, someone says it's right for you, that's the problem with this view of tolerance. The second thing I think we need to consider is consider the older view of tolerance and truth. Why can we not take more of an old tolerance approach? Choosing to disagree. Why not be part of a culture that embraces, respects meaningful engagement and disagreement? Why not consider truth? We're dependent upon truth all the time. We need facts to live. We don't live in a chaotic world. We live in a world with order truth so that we can function and why not consider the bible's claims for truth and we're going to do that in details next week but at its heart this bible's claim for truth is my third point i think we need to consider jesus approach to tolerance and how it affects you You see, what's good for you is not good for me is not really that helpful. I think what's much better is what's bad for you is bad for me. It's a much better approach because all of us have fallen short of God's glory. What we've seen, even if it's just briefly today, God is tolerating your rebellion of him so that you will come back to him. Have you considered Jesus on the cross? Have you considered that this is where you should be? Have you considered how tolerant God is of you because he wants you to deal with your problem? In Romans 3, it said a bit earlier in verse 21, if we go back there, Oh, sorry, verse 24. All, all are justified freely by his grace. Justify God, declaring that you are right with him as a gift. It is free by grace. And this comes through trusting in him. 
As verse 21 goes on to say, it says, it's by faith. It's trusting in what God has done. It's trusting in something that is true. Not what's true for you isn't true for me because there's no real truth. There's something that's happened in history. We need to respond to it. Wherever you're at today, do you need to consider this more? Do you actually need to get to the point today, this morning? You need to accept what Jesus has done for you. You can do that by just acknowledging that you've rebelled against him. And as we did in communion, we say sorry and we thank him for what Jesus has done and we ask him to help to live for him. That's what it is to be a Christian that sees God's view of tolerance and intolerance as a far better way to live. But from the Christian perspective, even if you're a non-Christian, seeing how Christians are thinking on this uh, topic, I want to make uh, three suggestions out of many. It was hard trying to narrow them down. There was, I think, ten um, in, in, in Don's book, and they're all very helpful as well. I want to argue that you need to preserve a place for truth. That is, don't cave in. And I say this seriously because I think one of the struggles Christianity is having is the compromises we make in the sake of not wanting to offend intolerance. Don't let your culture compromise the gospel. It's not okay to accept another way as a truth option, even if just for a little bit, so as not to offend. While this new perspective on tolerance exists and it prevails, maybe God will turn things around, there'll be a revival and at some point will um, dissipate. Maybe it won't be in our lifetime. But while it prevails, it's going to get harder and harder and harder. But what we need to keep coming back to is Jesus Lord. Did he save? Yes or no? It's a yes. The purpose of life is to live for him, so it's not okay to lessen this. But the second uh, perspective I want to make is that we need to keep presenting the inherent inconsistencies of tolerance. But we need to do it with grace and not arrogance. We need to keep presenting that the idea of this tolerance It's a fake freedom. We love freedom in Australia. It's one of the virtues that we hold, one of the things that we're just desperate for. We love the idea that we are a free people. But this tolerance is not giving us freedom. Because whenever there's a restriction on speaking what you think is the truth, that's actually a pulling back from a freedom. We see the desire um, and the, the crying out for freedom of speech when um, our Australian journalists have been captured overseas and we're crying out to get them to come back and, and some have been freed and some are still uh, in jail for saying what they've said or not said in some cases. But we don't have a licence and I say this seriously and it's my fear and I think this is where Christians sometimes get it so wrong maybe even myself on occasions, we don't have a license to be rude and arrogant. 
So one of the things in, uh, in uh, public schools, uh, what is it you have to do if, um, if you're allowed to go in um, on the odd occasions we are in, in, in South Australia, and, and I know there's, uh, there's a few of you that take that privilege and it's a great thing we do, you can go into a Christian school and speak about Jesus, what do you have to say before you say anything about Jesus? This is what Christians believe. Christians believe this. That's a symptom of this tolerance because we can't offend. Not Jesus died for you. Christians believe this. And you can say it that way because, well, that's what they believe, but you don't have to believe that because you can have another truth. But if we're not to be rude and arrogant... If we're to understand that we aren't actually the prevailing view, the gracious and right and and the good thing to do is to say Christians believe in the school context. It's the only option. And saying it in a gracious way and waiting for the opportunities. Barb's told us many times, if she's going to talk about Jesus because someone's explicitly uh, asked her, as in her role as a pastoral worker at a school, explicitly asked her. She cannot do it otherwise. It's appropriate for her to do it in that context, in grace and in kindness, as all of us need to consider. But what I've also noticed in our Christian uh, world is that this perspective is seeping into Maybe that's the way we should talk all the time. Maybe we should just say, well, Christians believe this and kind of starting to water it down just a smidge so that there's the avenue to say you can believe something else. I don't think it is appropriate in other other situations to say, well, this is the Christian perspective and we can have lots of others and it's okay. We need to figure out how we can be loving, gracious, not rude, and arrogant. And so we need to be informed, I would have thought. The people that you engage with, some people are really thought through on these issues, and if you're going to engage with them, then it'd be helpful for you to understand who they are. Sometimes our neighbours just have kind of gone with the flow and they just kind of ended up thinking without a lot of thought, let's just not offend. And you need to engage on that level. I want to encourage you to not just let the idea or that that's just your opinion pass you by. Engage with it. Challenge it. Point out its problems. You see, we can't avoid people calling us arrogant, rude, offensive, even abusive. But we can avoid being those things in the way we make our arguments and in the way we conduct ourselves. The last uh, point I wanted to make is I think this new tolerance means Christians need to be prepared to suffer. All around the world, this is happening in profound ways, but I want to say to you that as more and more tolerance this way um, wins, we are going to be challenged. In Adelaide, I've heard of a story 
of kids who have been in Christian schools being ostracised for a particular view they have, been ma- they have made on the Bible. That they were put, who believes this? And they're broken up into one half of the room and to the other half of the room on sex, relationships and homosexuality. And one kid who decided that they believe what the Bible said was made to stand by themselves as all the other kids disagreed in a Christian school. Because you need to be tolerant first, then you can talk about God. That's horrendous. Those things shouldn't happen. You need to consider at work, if someone asks you what you you believe and you tell them, they can go and complain and slander you. That's possible. We may be prepared to suffer in ways we don't even expect or know how it's going to play out yet. Taking a stance in a gracious, loving and kind way does not mean that you can be bullied, ridiculed, sacked or even sued. I know of someone who um, was trying to help out another person at work who was trying to tolerate their kind of lack of ability in an area but it was someone from the opposite sex done in a completely appropriate setting and they made all these false accusations when all that person was trying to do was um, engage uh, kindly with them and they just said that they were being intolerant and, and unhelpful and abusive and it went through a massive debacle. But I don't want to finish just there. Because you see, I think if we're going to be prepared to suffer, to present the truth, surely we should delight in the Lord as the Psalms keep on telling us to. To not be scared or fearful. If you go away scared, I think you've missed the point because God is still building his church. God is still faithful. And you know what? It's actually kind of exciting being in this community and culture at this time because it's in these moments where God, you see, worked throughout history and people come to actually trust in him. Apathy gets put aside when people have to be make, make a stand. It's an opportunity for us not to be apathetic but to be bold and have more opportunities to speak the clarity of what Jesus has done on the cross. I think we should go away today encouraged of the type of God we have who can deal with our intolerance of him so that we can have life with him forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the life we have in him. In some ways, today has been uh, fairly confronting. Lord, we just ask that we just come back to your Son on the cross and see what he has done for us. And with joy and delight, depend upon him. Amen.